Thank you for joining in for this City Lights Church podcast. We're a new church in the north of Brisbane, and you can find out more about us at www.citylights.community. We hope that this podcast encourages you in your journey of following Jesus. So uh, today we're continuing our Kingdom Living series. And our Kingdom Living series is about this. It's about the idea that God has got a plan and a purpose and a way of living that is good, that has life and will touch and impact every area of your life. So if you can think about an area of your life, He's got a plan for it. He's got a purpose for it. We've been talking about work. We've been talking about what that looks like in the home. And today, I'm going to be talking about money. Now, I will say this. This is not a giving message. So if you're like, oh man, I came to the church for the first time and the pastor talks about money and churches always want your money. All right, that may be your experience. But today, I'm going to be talking about something else, and we're going to be hearing about what Jesus says about money. Now, the reason that I want to talk about money from the Bible is because, no doubt, you've been talking about money. Now, I bet that most of us, in one way or another, have had a conversation regarding money this week. Has anyone thought about money? Has anyone you don't have to you don't have to worry you don't have to put your hand up with this has anyone worried about money okay don't put your hand up just play cool just be like maybe others have not me <laughs> I, I got things pretty like I'm all you know I got I got yeah other people bad people not me we think about money we worry about money do you know also from time to time we conflict about money in fact they say that. Uh, 70% of disagreements between couples will involve money as an element. Has that ever been your experience? Again, do not put up your hand. You're like, oh, yeah, I think that person has. Look at them. In fact, this is a sad statistic that it is one of the top four reasons that couples separate. Now, that's really sad. We do not want that. But that just highlights the importance of why we're talking about money. The other reason that I want to talk about money is our culture is talking about money. In fact, an American study said that the average person, if you are connected to the media or if you're traveling in some way, you are going to see between 4,000 and 10,000 advertising messages per day. Did you know that? If you, are, if you have a phone, if you're traveling, if you watch some kind of, of media, right? That is a lot of messages. Now, I'm sure that you would agree that most of those advertising messages have something to do with me or you spending our money or shaping what is important about our money or often modern marketing, which is a, a relatively new uh, phenomenon probably in the last even less than 100 years, is that a lot of modern marketing is about need generation, meaning it, it entices us 
with wanting something that we didn't even knew existed. So our culture is talking about money. It's talking in a lot of ways. Also, our culture is not always harmful. Our culture's got messages around how to save money, how to build wealth, how to 10x or 100x your wealth, right? And how to uh, become a billionaire. There's a lot of that on Instagram, as though that's something that is within reach with most of people, which is, is not. Some people can, right? So there's all these messages. We're thinking about it. Our culture is bombarding us with this message. But also, I, I want to say that the Bible has a lot to say about money. And it has a lot to say in a lot of areas. It has a lot of wisdom around money. The Bible talks about money more than it talks about heaven and hell, more than it talks about faith. Do you know that when Jesus talks about money, about half of the parables or stories that he told, of which we're going to jump into one in a minute, were about money. Why? Because money is pretty important to us. Now, who here has made a big decision in their life? Who has either done something or not done something because of money? It is a decision. It is part of our decision-making process for most of the things in our life. And so if it's important to us, then God has got a plan for it. Now, his plan might be different. It might be a different mindset. It might be a different way of approaching it, but I want to say that it's good. And I also want to say that when Jesus talks about money, there is life there. That's the nature and the character. When you follow Jesus, what happens is life begins to, he begins to transform you and there begins to be wholeness and peace and restoration that starts within you is in your heart, in your spirit, in your will, in your mind, and begins to flow out to every single area of your life. Now, this message is for those who identify as Jesus followers, because we're going to be talking about something that Jesus says is important regarding money. So if you're here and you're just like new to this or... Um, you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, then I hope, I think that there will be some principles that would help you. But the main part of this is for people who say, okay, if Jesus talks about it, I know there's this life there and I want to start to align some of my thinking and some of my actions around what Jesus says. So today we're going to look at a story of Jesus. Now, Jesus was a master communicator. And in the stories that he told, there was always a twist, always something that was unexpected, an unexpected ter turn of events. Now, we're going to see this, that as he starts to tell a story, of which are easy to remember, who knows that a story is easier to remember than a sequence of bullet points. Jesus didn't teach with a sequence of bullet points. He taught with stories that capture our imagination that keep us thinking about possible interpretations over time. So we're going to read a story. It was in the book of uh, Luke. Now Luke is a physician and he's recording a bunch of stuff. And here is a story that Jesus told his disciples, meaning he told people that followed him. And that's why the purpose of this story is for Jesus' followers. Now the story 
is in three parts. In the first part of the story, an owner of a business, he confronts his manager and he says, you have been wasting my resources and you haven't been looking after the things that I've entrusted to you, the things that I've given you to manage. And so I'm going to fire you. I'm going to have to let you go. All right. And so this is like a bit of a tragic situation. The guy's a little bit worried. So second part, the manager is worried about money and he's worried about what's going to happen because he says this. He says, look, I can't do laboring. And he says, I'm too proud to beg. So in that, in that uh, society, they didn't have unemployment benefits or retraining, the things that we enjoy. So he's worried. And so you know what he does? He goes, I'll come up with a plan to forgive the debtors of the owner. I'll use what I have and I'll do some deals that will ultimately benefit me. So he goes, I'll make some really sweet deals so that when I get fired, I'll have all these contacts and people like, hey, I remember what you did, to, did for me. Come and stay at my house. So this is his plan, right? And this is what he does. For example, uh, in the story, there's a person who, owns, uh, who owes 900 gallons of oil. That's a lot of oil. And you know what he says? Okay, pay it quickly. I'll do you a deal. Half price. Who loves a sale? All right. I'm, big, I'm a big bargain person, right? I'm there. If there's a sale, if I keep saving money like this on sales, I will be rich. <laughs> then the next example, there's someone who owns a thousand, owes a thousand bushels of wheat and he says 20% off. That's a pretty big, if you do this deal. And so he does all these deals and he uses his influence and he uses all his drive, all his intelligence and all his smarts to create a good deal for himself that benefits him. So that's the second part of the story. The third part of the story is the owner finds out. Now here's the twist. What does the owner do? Is the owner furious? Does he put him in prison? Does he like just go beast mode on him? All right. Does he destroy him? He would have every right to him. You know what the owner does? This is unexpected in the story. The people who were listening to the story wouldn't have expected this. The owner says, well played. Okay. The owner applauds him and the word he uses for his shrewdness. And he says, hey, I admire the fact that this person has used their drive, their intelligence, and their smarts to create a good deal for them. Now, at this point, then Jesus switches into a teaching moment. And what he says is this. He says, people in the world are really good at using their drive, intelligence, and smarts when it comes to money. And he says this, the people of the light, at that stage he's re referring to Jews, but we're included in that. We are the people of the light. The people of the light aren't as good as that. So that's the first part. And then this is what he says. He says, you should do that 
All right? You should use your drive, your intelligence, and your smarts, not for the purpose of creating influence for yourself, but for the purpose of creating eternal influence and friendships that go into eternity. So he said, okay, you've made friendships for your own personal gain. Why don't you make some friendships that go into eternity? Now, in this church, we have been privileged in this time, and I have been privileged as a person, to meet people and become friends with people that I didn't even know existed, right? So we've got some people here that have joined our church, some people that have found Jesus this year or last year, people that have joined our church. We are forming eternal friendships, like we're going to be in heaven, and we're going to be like, hey, high fives, do you want to have a meal, that kind of stuff. That's what's going to happen. So let's pick up in Luke chapter 16 and verse 8. You'll see that we've already talked about some of this stuff, but you can follow along. I'm reading from the NLT. You can look at the screen. It says, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for, for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. So here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. So let's look at five things that Jesus wants to tell us about money. And the first is this. Money and possessions are a tool. They're a tool. What can you do with a tool? What can you do with a hammer? What can you do with a saw? Well, you can use that hammer to build something or to destroy it. You can use that saw to create something good or cut something off. What Jesus is saying is that money is a tool. And his encouragement is for us to use our intelligence, our drive, our smarts to use that for eternity. And here is my first question when it comes to the way that you think about money and the way that you use money. And it's this. It's coming up on the screen. Your money and possessions in a way that brings people closer to God. Because that's what eternal friendships mean, is that I have money and I have choices around how I use that in my whole life and in the way that I'm using that. Am I using that to bring people close to God? I love the word leveraging. Leveraging means that you can use a little to have a big impact. That's the first thing that Jesus wants to say about money and possessions. Now, it's important for us to know that what Jesus is saying is money is neither bad nor good, but it can be used for bad or good. It's not what you have, it's how you use it. Are you just going to use it all for yourself? Are you going to use it to build your own influence? That's what the story is talking about. Or are you going to use it to leverage it for eternal purposes. The other thing, and this is really cool, because I know that there are people in this room who are gifted in business 
and are gifted to actually make money to advance the kingdom of God. And you can do that in a million different ways. And I just want to encourage you that if that's your heart, if you feel that that's part of your gift from God, if you feel that that's part of your dream, if you feel that's part of your calling, go for it. If you're a business person, go for it. That's what Jesus is saying. Go and you, you don't have to be like, oh, like is, you know, is it okay for me to make money or isn't it? Like does Jesus think money is bad? He says, no, money is neither good nor bad. It's a tool. Use it to advance the kingdom of God. Let's keep going. Verse number 10, Jesus' second thing that he tells us, he says, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But you have dishonest in little things, you won't be dishonest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustly with worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? The first thing that Jesus wanted to tell us about money and possessions is that they are a tool. The second thing that he wants to tell us is that they are a test. What we do with our money matters to God. It also means that everyone who is a Jesus follower is on the hook, meaning everyone has a responsibility with whether they have a little or a lot. No one can say, well, I have too little to be of use. And no one can say, I have too much either. And also Jesus is saying this, if you are faithful in little, I will give you more. And sometimes Jesus doesn't want to give us more money because it might destroy us. Is that possible? Seen that? So there's a whole bunch of impl- impl- uh, implications here. So what will money test? Money will test your character. Have you ever heard the saying, money changed them? All right, there's a study that's been done around uh, in a uh, university in, uh, I think, Berkeley University in California. And what they looked at is that at the pedestrian crossing, who would stop and not stop if there was someone on the pedestrian crossing, right? And it said that uh, cars like Mercedes, BMW, better cars are four times less likely to stop. There is also some connection between wealth and empathy. Now, we are not in this room saying, therefore, wealth is bad. We are just saying that wealth is going to test your character. If you are obnoxious with a little bit of money and you get more money, what is your chances of being more obnoxious? Yeah? The other thing is that money will test your capacity. Can you be faithful with what little that you have? Can you look after and what God has given you? The other thing is money will test your commitment. There's another saying, put your money where your mouth is. It will test what you think is valuable, but also it will test your deepest desires. Because ultimately, we will use money to further our deepest desires, sometimes in hidden ways, sometimes in visible ways. And Jesus says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. He doesn't say where your heart will be, your treasure will follow. He says the other way around. 
So can you see that money and possessions are a test? Going on, verse 12. And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Now, here's the thing. The third thing, money and possessions. The first is a tool. The second is a test. The third is a trust. Now, I'm about to show you something that some of you may have seen, but a number of my kids have never seen. Can you put this up on the screen? This is... It's called a VHS, all right? Video cassette. Who, who has experienced one of these beasts? Now, here's a fun fact. Two of my kids have never, ever been into a video store. Isn't that crazy? Who remembers what it was like going into a video store and just looking for like one hour to find something that turned out to be terrible and then the new release that you really want and remember there was like seven bays of it and no copies right and then every time someone would come in the door you'd hear the ding ding and then you'd run over and you say can you check what they returned because you wanted to try and get that new release the whole idea is that you, had, you got to borrow this, and at the end it says, be a friend, rewind when you reach the end. Isn't that so catchy? <laughs> I love that. I love a clever word play. What it is, is you got to borrow it, but when you brought it back, leave it in good condition. This is what Jesus is saying. You, you don't own it. You just get to use it. And so you're entrusted with it, rewind it, leave it better than when you found it. Now, at the end of our lives, when we go into eternity, I don't know if you've thought about that, I believe that God is going to ask us two questions. The first question is, what did you do with my son? And the second question is, what did you do with my stuff? Because we have a trust. Moving on, verse 13, it says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. The fourth thing that Jesus wants to say is this, is that money is a bad boss. Money is a really bad boss. And I want to ask another question. Are you aware that money and possessions can lead you away from God? Now, I think most people like kind of are, but I don't know if we'd actually put it out so boldly to say that. And again, I'm not saying that money and possessions are bad. Money in itself is not evil. I'm just saying we need to wise up that money and possessions can have an effect on our hearts. It can have an effect on our thinking. It can deceive us. It can bring us into this idea that if I have money and possessions, I don't need God because my money and possessions can provide for my needs. And there are four key needs that we use money to get. This is one of the first slides to show these 
really quickly, my friend Roger. Status, security, comfort, and control. These are the four primary ways that psychologically we use money. And we can trick ourselves and deceive ourselves that if I can use money to get those things, that I don't need God. And so it's important for us when we think about money to be aware that it can deceive us and that it also can separate us from God. Again, money's not bad. It's a tool. It's a test. It's a trust. And so that's what Jesus is saying. It's a bad boss. Let me give you another question here. This is a good one. What are you doing or not doing that God has asked you to do because of money? It's a really important question. Are you letting money dictate the terms of your life, the direction of your life, the fulfillment of God's dreams that have placed in your life because of money? So what are you not doing that God has asked you to do because of money? And I would say, the reason I say that is money is a bad boss. It's not going to lead you into fulfillment or fullness or lead you into your destiny. Here we go. The last thing that we're going to say, verse 14, it says, The Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all this and scoffed at him. Then he said to them, these are the religious rulers, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. So my kids would call this a roast. So Jesus just roasted the, the Pharisees. They'd be like, did you hear that roast? I just roasted him. So Jesus just roasts the Pharisees. And what he's saying is that money and possessions are a bad measure of success. Everybody would say that. No one would say, hey, I really want to define my life by what's in my bank balance and what I own. There would probably be a few people that would say that, but most people wouldn't really say that. They would just think that. Would you agree? Or they would subtly do that. They would do that by comparison. They wouldn't be as bold as saying that. And so here's what I want to say is that God has a different agenda for your money and possessions than our world does. And maybe you're on this agenda and maybe you're partway through, maybe you've grabbed a hold of this and maybe this is something that is new for you, a new concept, a new mind. That's really important and we want to share it. And all those five things that I've talked about and God's agenda for money can be wrapped up in one word and this word is a word that's probably pretty unique to the Bible. I don't think it's a common word that we would have in our vocabulary, but the word is this coming up on the screen, stewardship. Who's heard this word before? Stewardship, right? So a steward is someone that is entrusted with another's resources and whose goal is to manage those resources with the owner's vision in mind. Get those two parts? You're a manager. This is what the story, remember the original story. There is an owner, there is a manager. 
And so Jesus is saying, okay, God is the owner. We are the manager. Another word for manager is a steward. And this is one of the foundational biblical concepts that God has called us to be managers and not owners of money and possessions. Now, a steward has two things. This is important to know. A steward has authority because in this story, right, the manager had authority to make decisions even though they weren't the right ones. And they also have accountability. So when I go through life as a steward of what God has given me and the resources that are within in my world, I realize that I do have authority to make decisions, but also I'm going to be called to account for the way that I've lived my life and what I've done with what God has given me. All right? So two things, that's a, quite a great responsibility. It's a trust. And when it comes to stewardship, we need to understand a couple of things. The first is we need to understand that it's part of our design. When we go back to the beginning, the book of beginnings, Genesis, Genesis 1.28, here's what it says. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. He's essentially saying, go for it. Use your intelligence, your drive and your smarts to make the world a better place. Not just for you, but for the generations to come, for those around you considering looking after the planet as well. That's really important to God, that we don't just destroy our planet, that we look after our planet. And that's what he says. It's part of our design. So if you didn't know this already, as a Jesus follower, part of your destiny and design is to be a steward. It's to have that authority and accountability. The second thing is this. We understand that everything belongs to God. Psalm 24 and verse 1 and 2. The, the earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, and he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Now, this is a really big mind shift, right? But let me ask you a simple question. What do you have currently that you can take with you when you die? This awesome outfit that you're wearing that you look so good in? That car that you love, the house that you love, even the family that you love, you can't take those into eternity. Only God has the power, nothing that we have. So everything belongs to God. But let me say something that's encouraging. If everything belongs to God, so do your bills, not just your bank balance. And I'm for real, like... God, how are we going to pay this bill? If I'm sharing a bank balance with God where he owns everything, he also owns my bills. Doesn't mean I'm going to be unwise, but I got them. There's a scripture that says the cattle on a thousand hills are God. And that's true. But I would also say the bills in a thousand emails are God's. The bills in a thousand letterboxes are God's. Is that when we understand that God is not just wanting to take all our money, but God is wanting to empower us to live this full life that blesses others, where we share resources with Him, 
that he's not just trying to like do a dodgy on us, take all our money and leave us with all the bills, but he's present in our ups and downs. He's present in every area of our finances. He's present in every area of our resources. If you let him, he'll help you make really good decisions about what to do where. And that's part of what it means to be a steward. The third thing that we understand as being a steward is that everything is a gift from God. And I'm going to say this again. Everything is a gift from God. If you are in a mindset where you feel you have to earn everything, that's not God's mindset. Everything is, when we look at Scripture, we see grace is a gift from God. And it's also a gift that God helps us to give to others. We see that spiritual gifts are a gift from God. Our breath is a gift from God. Everything is a gift from God. So the question is then, how do I use the gift that God has given me? The gifts that he's given me. He is uniquely created. I heard someone say the other day, I'm I'm not sure of these statistics myself, but they reckon maybe like 100 billion people have lived on the planet. I don't know if that's true. sounds like a lot. But even if it's 20 billion, of those 20 billion that have lived, no two people have been alike. Each person has unique gifts. Each person has a unique story. Each person has the ability to communicate uniquely with God. It's all a gift. And so the question then becomes, how can I use what God has given me as a gift? Can I share a couple of stories from my life, not in a way to promote myself at all, but just to say that by the grace of God, I've been living this for over 25 years and in the best of my ability, not holding on tight to what God has given me, but looking to give him access to everything that I had. I was at a conference, a mini conference about two weeks ago, and I ran into uh, uh, some people from my old church. And so uh, that's the church I grew up. My dad was a pastor in that church, and they've just had a leadership transition and they've got a new pastor. It's now a multi-campus church with a school. And uh, so this pastor, he's around my age. And uh, we were chatting and he said, this pastor said to me, someone asked me, how did you first get connected with the church? And he said this to me, I did not remember. He said, he told them that Rebecca and I invited them over to our house. Now at that time, we were just married. We had a a tiny house, not like a tiny house, like a Netflix tiny house. It was bigger than just like a, a small house in Sydney and not a particularly flash suburb, right? We bought it when uh, we were just married, saved our, saved our money to do that. And uh, small areas, small rooms. And he said, you invited me over for some tandoori chicken. Didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I didn't cook it. Um, <laughs> I said, yeah, that's my favorite recipe. I'll make it from scratch. Uh, Did not say that. And he said, we watched the AFL Grand Final together. And I was like, great. And he said, that's when I called the church my home. And so I didn't remember that. It's not like, oh, all glory to Andrew. It's like, I was just glad to be part of someone's story of bringing them into the community of God, into the kingdom of God and releasing them 
into their destiny. That di- I don't think that costs much. Didn't even think about it, but it's the idea that everything that I have is available. The house that I have, even though it's a little house, tiny house, the food that I have, the time that I have, the sport that I get to watch and share with other people, it can be used for God's kingdom and God's glory. Do you know in our life, when Jesus has said yes for us to do some big moves, so I was in corporate, in sales, I had my own office with a Harborview, a job that I loved, getting paid really good money. And when God said, come to Brisbane and took a 60% pay cut to do that, we just said, yes, why? Because God can provide, if it's his will, there's any number of different ways that he provides. When it came time to plant this church, and we did that as volunteers at that stage, full-time volunteers, all right, no, no money. Why could we do that? Because I don't own anything. I have access to every resource that I need. Here's the point, is that I allowed in those moments, those major decisions, for God to be the boss, not money to be the boss. And that's what having the idea of stewardship is that as you begin to hear the voice of God and as he says, now the time's, now's the time to go, Now's the time to do this. Now's the time to step out. Now's the time to share this. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait till we have the perfect house. We don't have to wait until we have the ideal bank balance. We don't wait, have to wait until we have the perfect job or anything. We just recognize that we can share whatever God has given us for his glory and to bless those around you. Now, here's what I want to say. My final question, I'm going to invite um, Naomi back on the keyboard. My final question is this, do you have a vision for your money and possessions that brings you and others closer to God? Like when you think about things, when you're budgeting, when you're having conversations, maybe it's just you and your family at the moment or you and your house at the moment, or maybe there's some other people that are involved in that. But is this on your grid? Is this on your radar that God has not called you as an owner? He's called you as a manager. And what that means is that you have access to every resource. Maybe some of you are have some significant financial challenges right now. And here's a good question. Hey, God, how are we going to pay this bill? Because as the good and loving Father, He's coming alongside you. He's not leaving you out on your own. He's blessing you. He's allowing you to be fruitful. He wants to care for you. He wants to be present whatever situation you are. And my question to us all as a church, for those that are here, for those that are listening online, is what if we as a people used our drive, our intelligence and our smarts to say, 
as a community, we make a decision that we can be stewards, that we will faithfully manage, that we will leverage our resources for the sake of our city. I am not at all talking about you giving all your money away. All right, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the difference between being closed-fisted and open-handed. When you're open-handed, you can live freely knowing that you are not the source. God is the source. God is the owner. And He tests and He trusts. And He allows us to use finances as a tool. So what about you? As I said, there's all kinds of different responses today. So this might be like new news for you. For some of you, you're like, I've never heard of that. I've never had that torch. Some of you are like, I've been doing this for years. Some of you are like, hey, I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I, I, this is a good reminder for me to take some practical steps in seeking God in this area. I'm just going to allow us in this moment just to have a response. Why don't you uh, bow your head and close your eyes. And right now, why don't you allow the voice of the Holy Spirit to speak to you? If you're in a position right now and you have a bit of fear or a bit of worry about money, I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to come and comfort you and say, you're not in this alone. You're not in this alone. You have access to every resource. Maybe some of you, you're in debt. And you're concerned about that. Maybe you're concerned about what you read in the news or, or hear in different environments. I want to say that God, He is an ever-present help. He is with you. Others of you, you might be in the best financial position of your life. You might literally be like, I do not know where to put this money. And the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Whatever your situation, the point is, wherever you are, allow the Holy Spirit to encourage you and bring you onto His agenda. Say, God, not my will, your will. Not my plan, your plan. Your plan is better. Your purposes are better. There is more life, more peace, less worry, more trust. And God, we thank you for that. In the name of of Jesus. Just before we go, as I said, I believe when we get to eternity, God's going to ask us two questions. And I want to focus on this first question that He'll ask us What did you do with my son? When I sent Jesus to the planet, how did you see him? Did you receive him? And the Bible says in Romans 10 9, it says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the first step in coming to Jesus is acknowledging that Jesus is God. And so if you've never done that, all you need to do is just declare that Jesus is Lord and believe that. And I want to encourage you. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about that, take that important step. Is that good? I hope you've been encouraged. 
I hope you've been strengthened. I hope you've been built up. I hope you've got some things to think about, some homework to pray about, maybe discuss with a friend or someone uh, in your home. And uh, I want to encourage you. I'm going to hand over to Steph right now. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about City Lights Church at www.citylights.community.